It's good to see everyone here this morning. I was <clears throat> woken up this morning by my croup-afflicted son at about four, coughing and crying. So I've been awake for a while, but it's a good day because it's the last Sunday of the year. And it's wrap- the year is wrapping up. It went surprisingly quickly. And it's strange to think we only have one day left in the year after today. And I was talking with Sarah earlier this year about how lucky her and I are. Uh, We were really at the end, the tail end, of one tech level and the beginning of another tech level. Uh, Just the changes that happened in the course of my life with technology has been phenomenal. Uh, I can remember... as a little boy, listening to records. And that's something my kids will never know. They'll probably never listen to a record. Uh, We had a Sesame Street record that I love listening to, and we had a a Steve Martin record that my parents listened to a lot that as I get older I realize is really funny, Uh, but at the time I didn't know why my parents were laughing so much. And we even had, this this is the stage we were at. You guys know who MC Hammer is, right? We had an MC Hammer record. Yeah, too legit. And Can't Touch This. And it was, Can't Touch This was the, it was the, I think just that, that song and another one. But I can remember us as little kids just putting that record on and dancing around the family room over and over to that song. And I can even remember uh, Betamax and VHS. And I remember as a child, we had, a, we had two VHS players or two tape players, we had a VHS player and a Betamax player, and I never understood why you couldn't put the smaller tapes in the bigger one and make it work, and why the bigger ones didn't fit into the smaller ones. Now now I understand why, but as a child, I just was like, okay, these are big tapes, these are small tapes, why won't the big one play the small ones? And then you get a tape wedged in there and you get in trouble, and so you just stopped and you're like, can you help me please? And I also remember uh, playing Atari before we got the regular Nintendo. And those are all tech that nobody, nobody plays Atari anymore. If you watch VHS tapes, God bless you. If you have a Betamax player, it's probably worth something. Um, but my generation was on the tail end of that. As a small child, I remember in the late 80s, all of this transition from records and tapes to CDs. And my generation was introduced to computers, to the Internet, to cell phones, I can remember my family getting its first computer. We were, I think I was about 12, 14 years old when my dad brought home an old work computer that was our first computer. It was a Tandy 286. And just so you know, 286 is how fast the processor is, and we're like on 1186 now. So we're leaps and bounds ahead of that. Tandy 286 put out two colors on this tiny little monitor. We had the, we had the soft disks, remember the five and a quarters? And then we had the hard disks, the three and a quarters, but my dad paid $4,000 for that computer back in the 80s. (laughs) You couldn't get five cents for that now. And I remember not only getting our first computer, but then slowly upgrading our computers as we got older. The computers would get better. We went to Windows, because we had DOS at first. You had to type in everything, load the programs in. And then we got the Windows, and my dad's like, you don't have to load programs anymore. And it's like, whoa. You just have to sit there with like seven discs and sit there and change them out. 
And we kept on getting better computers. And then finally, we got to this point where my dad's like, we're going to get the internet. And I'm like, what's the internet? That sounds cool. He's like, you can talk to other computers through your computer. And it's like, what is this? This is craziness. We had our first modem, dial-up modem. You guys remember those? The horrible sound of dialing up? Anyway, you get the blazing fast 14.4 kilobytes. <laughs> Kids nowadays, you download something at a kilobyte, they'd be sitting there for six hours waiting for YouTube to load. And I remember getting my first cell phone. My dad had a cell phone. And before that, there were car phones. And no, no cool person used a car phone. If you did, we'll pray for you. But I remember getting my first cell phone at 18. I was 18 years old. I was an adult when I got my first cell phone. Kids nowadays, like, you see kids. We have, we have a child care through here during the week. You see kids in, like, elementary school with their phones. My first cell phone, when I, back in my day, I got my first cell phone at 18. It was those blue Nokia bricks that were about this big. It probably still has a charge somewhere. Because uh, those things, all you could do, you could call, you could text, and you could play Snake, and that was it. No flashlight, no, no pictures, nothing. Held a charge for like seven weeks. You plug it in once it charges to 100, very slowly goes down because the battery was like half the phone. But in having all this tech introduced to us, later, as I got older, all this tech was introduced as I got older. You know, YouTube. I remember when YouTube came out. I don't think I worked for a week when YouTube came out. I ignored school entirely. I was like, look at all the stuff I could see from my childhood. And there's actually, um, it's, it means something very special to me that I was so old when all this tech came out. Is that virtually all the dumb decisions of my youth were not recorded on someone's cell phone and then uploaded to YouTube for the whole world to watch. Because that, hold on. Because that's what happens nowadays. Somebody does something dumb, and they're like, okay, hold on. And everybody gets their phone out, and it's like, oh, hey. You know, nobody's smart enough to do this. They just all hold it up at the terrible vertical picture. And they all videotape, hey, look, he's going to do something dumb. Let's get it on camera. And I've actually got one good example of someone doing something stupid and then uploading it to YouTube. Kate, could you play this video? Watch this. If you can stop that, that's great. Um, I say virtually everything dumb I did is not online because there is one exception. Uh, I did a ton of dumb stuff in my younger years. When I was in high school, I won't tell you which high school I went to, but if you can remember, that's great. Uh, When I was in high school, I actually climbed to the roof of my three-story high school and walked over it, walked all up and down it. I'm sitting there like 100 feet in the air, no, don't care, running running down the roof of my high school, which is on, you know, a slant. On the, I'm running down the peak, not even considering the fact that if I fall off, I'm pretty much dead. Nobody recorded that. Um, but if you just watched this video, you saw my one exception. Uh, let's watch it one more time. It's short. This is me. So that's me being real dumb. And I'm actually, in this video... I'm wearing this sweater, which I still have. Uh, I don't get rid of my clothes, but my wife wants me to. Uh, But I got this sweater when I was 14. It's actually my oldest piece of clothing, so I've had this for most of my life. But why do I still have it? Because it fits. 
I got it when it was, okay, in the 90s, you got clothes that were way too big for you. That was the, that was the MO. You got giant clothes. That's just what you did. Big, baggy clothes. It was awesome, guys. There was none of this tight jeans, sit there and pull your pants on and try to wiggle into them. You pulled your pants on, you could fit somebody else in there with you. It was great. So all my clothes from the 90s still fit because I got them when I was 14 and I got them as if I were like 300 pounds. So I, they still fit me as a full-grown adult. But this video of me running into a wall of snow was taken in the Yukon Territory up in Canada. And this is actually just outside of Haines, Alaska. And you're going, where's Haines? It's up north of Juneau. So what happened, um, my friend Mike, my friend Ryan, who actually lived in Anchorage, and myself, uh, drove from Anchorage, Alaska to Dallas, Texas. It's a trip of approximately 80 billion hours. Uh, It was a long drive. But we stopped off in Haines because in Haines, Alaska, there is a ferry that you can ride into Juneau. You can't just drive into Juneau, Alaska, the capital. You have to take a ferry in. Uh, The ferry is from Haines. And on the road there, we're driving from Anchorage, we're driving through mountains, we're driving through the Yukon, and I see as we're going through down the road, there are these giant walls of snow. They looked about like that, but they were just taller, just big white walls of snow. And it's from the snow plows clearing the snow out of the way. And so I see these, and in my mind, I think that they're big, fluffy piles of snow. Like you, I realize what made me think that is because in the movies, whenever people dive into snow, it's always fluffy and they get cushioned and they go, Fump! and like, oh, this is great. Think of Frozen. When they fall off the cliff, they land in big, fluffy snow. They fall like 7,000 feet in the snow and they're like, oh, it's okay. So that's what I thought was going to happen. In my mind, I'm thinking, this is like a 12-foot high snow bank. I'm going to be able to dive right into it. And what I thought was going to happen is I would dive into it, get into all the snow, and then I'd have to dig my way out, which is why I kind of dove with my shoulder. Because I was making sure that when I dove into it, I'd be able to dig out kind of quickly. So my friend Ryan said, I was like, dude, I want to dive into one of those walls of snow. So he pulls over and goes, dude, let me videotape this. (laughs) Gets his camera out and thought it was a great idea. He lived in Alaska for a year, and he knew exactly what these were. He knew these were rock solid. That was like jumping into a brick wall. And so I was running, and I jumped into this wall, thinking, I'm going to have to dig my way out. I didn't. I hit the wall, and I hit the ground. It hurt. I actually got a concussion from this, uh, and I didn't go to the doctor because I was an idiot, but this uh, this was in May of 2007. Jumped into the wall, got a concussion, had a headache for three days, and it was one of the dumber things that I've done in my life. It really, really hurt. Uh, But I failed so miserably. This is such a stupid thing that I did because I didn't plan ahead. What I should have done before I dove into the wall, because I walked up to it, I looked at it, and I was like, okay. I should have gone up to the wall and gone, nope, not doing that. Oh, it's rock solid. Right, it's made of ice. I didn't plan ahead. I should have checked the wall first and realized it was rock solid. Uh, But I did learn some lessons from this huge mistake, thankfully. Uh, Mostly you don't mess with snow. Uh, That helped me when I lived in Canada. Because I did eventually move there for, I didn't live in the Yukon, but I lived in Calgary for seven years. And that was, uh, teaches you about how to live with snow. 
Because even when we make mistakes, we can gain wisdom if we learn from our mistakes. And maybe we can avoid making similar mistakes in the future. And with that in mind, I'd like everybody to flip to Proverbs chapter 3 for our passage this morning. We'll be in two sections of Proverbs 3, uh, verses 5 to 8 and then 11 to 14. And these two sections of Proverbs, uh, chapter 3, address the issues that I want to talk about today. I want us to look back at 2018 and see what we can learn. What did we do well at Northcrest last year or this past year? How can we continue to do well? And also, what did we do poorly? What do we need to change? And I want to then also look at 2019 and see what's ahead. we got the whole year ahead of us. What, what are our plans? How are we going to succeed? What, what are our potential areas of growth, and how can we harness that potential and develop a church? What are potential problems that are ahead, and how can we avoid them? And most importantly, what is God calling us to do next year? And the first thing I want to do is look back at 2018 the 363 days of the year we've already had, as well as today. The first verse that comes to mind here is Proverbs 3, verse 11 to 14. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father and the son in whom he delights. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding, for the gain from her is better than the gain from silver and her profit better than gold. And this passage speaks about God's discipline and about gaining wisdom. And the Old Testament frequently speaks about how great wisdom is. And this passage says it's better than silver and gold. But how are we to gain wisdom? The Bible says gain wisdom, become a wise person, but it never actually says this is how you get wisdom. In fact, gaining wisdom is really simple. If you look back in verses 5 to 7, we can gain wisdom by asking God to guide our steps and do things God's way instead of our way. We let the Holy Spirit guide us and show us his way of how to do things. And we can realize that God's ways are best and are always the most successful. And when uh, coupled alongside with that, when we don't do things God's way, we actually get disciplined. God disciplines us and corrects us. God lovingly corrects and guides us back to his way of doing things. He's like, you can do it my way or you can do it your way. And my way's best, and if you do it your way, I'm going to have to correct you because I need you to do this my way. And ultimately, we gain wisdom by paying attention to the results of our decisions. God has wired each of us in such a way that we can get a big picture of life. God allows us as human beings, as the part of creation that bears his image, to understand not only the past but the future. To give us an idea of the fact that we are part of a bigger picture of what's going on with our life. He gave us brains to understand our actions and realize that our actions have consequences. And if we want to be wise, we will look at our lives and the results of our actions and see if those actions are having the desired results. If this is just going to flicker, you can turn it off. It's fine. Basically, we can ask this question. Is my life what I want it to be? Have I done what God wants with my life? 
This morning, as you sit there, is your life the way you want it to be? Have you done what God wanted you to do? If yes, what have you done to make it that way? And if not, what have you done to make it that way and what can you change? And God can help us through this process. As we examine our lives, as we try to understand what's going on with our lives, God can help us look at our lives and evaluate them. And I dare say that he wants to help us because God is able to see things that we would normally miss. And he will help us learn to make good decisions with our lives. And this is wisdom. When we talk about wisdom, it's basically saying, is my life what I want it to be? Am I doing things God's way? Am I able to see what my life has become and realize that I've basically done that? Your life is the result of what you have done with your choices. Looking at your life and learning from it. You are your own best teacher. And you'd be surprised how many people don't examine their lives. How many people in this world ignore the results of their own actions and just complain and whine and grump all the time. People don't like analyzing their lives. People don't like looking at their, the consequences of their actions and saying, am I creating the type of life that I want? People will blame other people all the time. It's so easy to blame. We live in a blame culture where we'll blame family, we'll blame friends, we'll blame our jobs, we'll blame our race or our upbringing, we'll blame God, we'll blame anybody else, then take responsibility for our own actions and say, what have I done to cause this to happen? People will do anything they can to avoid taking responsibility for their actions. You see it in Genesis. Adam and Eve, there's no one else to blame, and they try passing blame. God goes to Adam and says, Adam, what happened? And he goes, it's this woman that you gave me. And then he goes to Eve and says, Eve, what happened? And she goes, it's the snake. And he goes to the snake and is like, I told you to go away. People will continually pass blame. Always, always, always. Instead of taking responsibility for their actions. We see this in politicians. We see this in corporations. Everybody passes blame to everybody else. Oh, it's a, uh, I, I didn't get that memo. Or, oh, it's the, this person said, it's like, no, 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 no. It's somebody's fault. Quit trying to blame everybody else. And while we should be evaluating our lives on an individual level, we must also be evaluating our work on a corporate level, specifically here as a church. We want to be a wise church. And I hopefully want to be a wise leader in this church. So let's look back at at 2018 and see what we can learn. On December 31st, which was the last Sunday of last year, was December 31st. I spoke last year on December 31st about what I expected from 2018. I wanted it to be a year of favor. And since I had my notes, I can look back and see what I wanted from 2018. Back in the far, far past of 2017. This, was, this is literally ripped right from my 
slideshow on 2017. What does God's favor look like for Northcrest? Because I said 2018 is going to be a year of favor. I hope, I trust, and I expect to see God's love and power manifest in our midst, to be given a vision for our church, to sow in important areas and ministries. And I wanted God, and it's cut off at the bottom because, of course it is, uh, I want God to bring us good servants and good leaders. Don't worry about fixing it. It's okay. And looking at these four things, I can see we've done, uh, I can see where we've done well as a church. And I'm extremely glad to have a church mission statement in, in place. That was one of the things I wanted for this year. And our church mission statement is seek the unreached, equip believers, send the called. Seek, equip, and send is the simplest way to put it. It's simple, it's biblical, it's memorable. I am glad we have that. That was awesome work on us being attentive to God's leading and distilling down to three words, basically, what we are doing. And with that, I'm also glad God has brought us good servants and good leaders. I'm extremely thankful for Cheyenne and Tyler. That's why I'm picking on you this morning, Cheyenne. Thank you. I'm extremely glad that you guys have joined our church. If I've not told you that, I'm telling you that now. I, good, I should. You guys have been a tremendous blessing. I wrote it right here. And you are helping us grow. Do you know you're helping the church grow? See, she's, they're, they're doing it the old-fashioned way. They're having, they're having babies. Big fan. We like babies being born into the church. So thank you for helping. See, that's the bottom one. Thank you for helping the church to grow. You have been instrumental. Kyle and Janae, thank you for becoming a part of a church. Kyle, I love how you sing. You do a great job. Hopefully we'll see more of you. Josh, with your head buried back in a computer trying to make these slides work properly. Thank you. We are glad you are here, Josh. There have been so many technological improvements that have been made, and we are thankful for your ministry here. You may never be up here preaching a sermon, and that's okay. Did your dad just say no? Don't worry, my dad would say the same thing. (laughs) But I am thankful that you are here, and we are glad to have you here. And I know there's other people here who started coming. I I get the feeling you don't want to be called out, so I'm not calling everybody out. But we are glad for the people that we've seen God bring into our church. Thank you, God. We like them. Bring more. And finally, I can see God's love and power manifesting here a little more each Sunday. Our prayer times have been more focused. I'm extremely thankful for that. And I've actually seen God at work through several people's prayers. Sharon, who normally sits where Kyle's sitting, uh, I've seen God work in her prayers. Uh, John, thank you for your heart to pray. I appreciate that. I'm, I'm very, very thankful, and I so cherish and value what I see God doing and the fact that he's working through people. That makes me happy, and I hope that makes them feel like they're part of something that we're doing here. And I've even noticed uh, some healing as well. Uh, I wouldn't say we've had anything miraculous happen, but I've seen God manifest healing here a little bit, which is better than none. (laughs) And I'm thrilled to see God heal us inside and out. And I want to keep seeing more of it. So three out of four ain't bad. It's pretty good. 
That's just my assessment. Uh, but there's also one other area of Northcrest Church and I want to talk about, and that's Kids Kingdom. I've said this like all the time, but we have a child care that runs out of this building during the week, Monday through Friday, 6.30 in the morning to 6.30 at night. Uh, and to th- in 2018, Kids Kingdom has been blessed tremendously by God's favor. Uh, we've brought in some of the best teachers I've ever met. Uh, and we've increased enrollment by leaps and bounds because I'm going to do some explaining here. In the fiscal year 2017-2018, because our fiscal year is weird, we start it in May and we end it in the next April. But in that year, specifically the last half of 2017, Kids Kingdom was doing poorly. I mean, and poorly is a nice way of saying it. It was doing terribly. It was crashing and burning. <laughs> Would be a better way to put it. Kids Kingdom for that fiscal year, 2017-2018, ran at a $50,000 loss. For a small organization like this, a $50,000 loss is significant. And that made pretty much everybody on the LBA nervous. We're starting to do the, hold on, do the math going, okay, we're losing this much money. This is really bad. How much longer can we keep this open before we have to shut the doors? Families were leaving Kids Kingdom, left, right, and center. Good teachers, teachers we'd had for 10 years were just like, peace them out. It was bad. This was the end of 2017, end of last year. Awful. But I was confident that this childcare, Kids Kingdom, could be a boon and a blessing to the church. So I asked, I said, God, I think you still have a purpose for this. I think, even though it's crashing, I'm currently watching it crash and burn, (laughs) I'm confident you can turn this around and it's going to be good. Um, because actually I oversee the child care. I'm not the director. I just, the director reports to me. Um, so I promoted the assistant director to director, lady whose name's Heather, mentioned her before. Uh, rehired Becca because she'd quit uh, the last year. I said, Becca, we need her back. We're, we're glad to get her back. We hired people like Cheyenne, big fan. Uh, and we worked on changing the culture from the crashing and burning that was going on to a positive one, which is extremely difficult. And with God's help, uh, Kids Kingdom has grown immensely in the last year. Uh, We started, I had to look back at my notes, we started 2018 with 78 kids, which is not enough to keep this organization running. And for the whole year, I prayed. Do you guys remember what the number was? I was praying for 99. I said, by the end of the year, I ask for 99 kids to be a kid's kingdom. Guess how many are there? 101. We have 101. That is exciting. So I prayed for at least 99. I'm like, God, I want at least 99 kids there. We have 101, and we have moved. And Sorry, with that, we've got the best Staff, I'm jumping ahead in my notes. We've got the best staff I've ever experienced. I like all the people I work with. I legitimately enjoy them. And this is the best group of teachers that I've seen. And I think Kids Kingdom can be a successful ministry uh, for years to come. And I guess the biggest indicator of health is last year we lost $50,000. Guess how much we're going to lose this year? Zero dollars, which I'm a bigger fan of. (laughs) We might, we're changing it, and it's awesome. And let me tell you, I'm excited that this is Kids' Kingdom's above water, the church is above water, 
Everybody goes, yes. That's awesome. Thank you, God. We're not doing it for the money, but the money helps to keep the doors open. (laughs) And looking back on this year, I have to ask, what have we learned as a church? What have I learned as a pastor? What wisdom have we gained? What wisdom have I gained? And personally, I enjoy our mission statement. I'm extremely grateful for our mission statement. I want to keep seeing how God's going to apply it to our work, Uh, whether that's in preaching or in small groups or in outreach. And I think uh, we could have already done more for our church, for church-wide integration. I think we could have done more work in that regard. Uh, But I think we can develop that in the coming year and in the coming years to create a culture around our mission. And uh, with that, I think we can grow a lot in creating a Holy Spirit mindful culture here on Sunday morning. I really want to see that developed, creating a spirit mindful culture uh, during prayer, during the sermon, even during announcements, during worship. I want to see God move through everyone, not just the chosen few people. And let me tell you, I think there's been times where God has been nudging me to say something. Yet, I've been quiet when I probably should have spoken up. Like this morning, as uh, Kyle was singing, I was looking out and I'm just like, man, who is this lady in front of me with red hair? I really get the feeling that God is, and this is the picture I got, is this for you, Susie? Because you stood out and I was like, who is that? Like, I had no idea. And then I'm like, oh, she's standing next to James. James is putting his arm around her. It's probably Susie. And if it's not, then we have to talk with James about stuff. So thankfully, it's Susie. I was like, whew, that's good. So I get the idea that God was just like rejoicing over you and was like singing and happy. And that's the picture I got was God was just happy and, and like singing over you, which is biblical. And I, I, I thought, I was like, God, that's just so simple. Like, do I, I got to jazz that up with something. Like, is there something I can say about the future? He's like, no, just say, I'm happy over you. And that's just encouraging for her to hear, Right? That'd make me happy. Like, God likes me and is rejoicing over me. Cool. But I just saw you and that stood out. So, I, There are times that God wants us to share. There are times that God has been nudging me to share stuff. And I've been like, oh, no, it's not important. I won't share it. And God's like, I give this to you so you can share it. <laughs> but have there been times when we've been praying or worshiping where you feel like, man, God wants us to keep praying for that? Or I have something on my heart and I need to share it. When you feel those kind of, I will call them Holy Spirit nudges, I want you guys to speak up. I don't want this to be a culture where it's just me talking and you listening. I want this to be interactive to some degree. Especially during prayer time, I want you to say, hey, we really need to be praying for this person, or we need to be praying for this, or what about this? Are we... I want to see God work on Sunday morning. And these are areas we, we can improve next year and in the years to come. And I'm glad for our successes and our failures because we can learn from both. And with that, there's one last side note. Thank you, Kate. God says that wisdom is more valuable than silver and gold. God says wisdom is more valuable than money. I wonder if we really believe that. Because if you had the choice of a million dollars or becoming a wiser person, which would you take? Like a million on the table or wisdom, most people be like, I'll figure the wisdom out later. 
But God seems to say that wanting money is trusting what you can see, while wanting wisdom is trusting what you can't see, which shows you where your focus is. Is your focus on material things or is it on spiritual things? Because if you gave me that choice between a million dollars and wisdom, I'd have to sit there for a while and have to convince myself to take the wisdom and not the million. That's just an area where I can grow. Side note over. Let's keep moving. Um, Start looking ahead at 2019. The future is great. God has great stuff in store for the future. And I think Proverbs 3, verses 5 to 8 is really crucial here. Uh, It applies to all of us as we look at the future. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Uh, Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. And basically, this passage can be summed up in three words. Let God lead. In this passage, you guys have probably heard it before. You've seen it on a little piece of wood written all fancy with flowers around it. This is one of those uh, hang-on-your-wall Bible verses. Go back one, please, Kate. And the actual application of this verse is far more challenging than people realize. People are just like, oh, yeah, just let God acknowledge him and what you do. Be like, God, I'm doing this for you, and everything is going to be fine. That's not what this passage means. Now, essentially, what this passage means is that you have to submit all your decisions to God. When you say, I want to do this, you then go to God and say, God, I want to do this. What do you think I should do? And whatever God says, you do that. Because sometimes you go to God and say, God, I want to move to Flower Mountain. And he goes, okay, sure, go nuts. And sometimes you say, God, I want to move to Flower Mountain. And he's like, eh, I think you should move here. And you're going, I don't want to move there. I want to move to Flower Mountain. And God has to redirect you. And he'll make straight that path and you just follow along. Now, some things we don't need to ask about. There are some questions that we ask God and he's already spelled it out in the Bible. Uh, let's take an example. Some of you here are not married yet. You're dating somebody. You're a regular churchgoer. I see you here most Sundays. And you're dating somebody who doesn't like going to church and thinks that religion is the opiate of the masses. And you go to God and say, God, I really want to marry this person. I love them. They're so pretty. They're so funny. I like being around them. What do you think God's going to say to that? Do you think God's going to be like, that is an excellent choice? In fact, he doesn't need to tell you that, because if you just read the manual, you would have already seen that he says no to that. Go to 2 Corinthians, please. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness? This passage is basically saying in many areas of our life, and specifically this applies to marriage, if you are dating an unbeliever, God does not want you to marry that person and hope you can bring him around to church. God is telling you that you should not, as as a Christian, do not marry an unbeliever. I can't tell you how many marriages I've seen dissolve because one person is falling hard after Jesus and the other person is definitely not going in the, and they're going in the other way and it pulls them apart. So in these, quest, in these 
areas of life and we're saying, well, no, God, what's your opinion on this? He doesn't need to speak directly to us because he's already written it in the book because it's that important. But there are some areas where there are no biblical commands. Let's say we're hiring a worship leader. Just going to throw that out there. If a church were to be hiring a worship leader and they have two very qualified candidates and they like candidate A and they like candidate B and they look for the Bible and they go through the Bible and say, where does it say, should we hire this guy or should we hire this guy? They look and they look and there's no, I mean, they're both Christians. They both do a good job. They like both of them. How do you make the decision? There's no Bible passage that says, well, just pick the first guy. In these situations, we need to ask God and trust his leading and rely on some of the wisdom he's given us as well. And in 2019, there are some things that I know we will need God's help in doing. And whatever he says for us to do in these things, we will need to do them. So I want to approach them with Proverbs 3 in mind. God, we acknowledge your lordship over the church. You're in charge. We want to do whatever you want us to do. Because ultimately, the church is God's church. This is Jesus' church. He is the head. He is in charge of this church. And it is my job, and it is your job, to do whatever he says to do. So looking ahead to 2019, here are some areas where we need God's direction. First of all, we're going to be bringing on a worship leader. We have a candidate we like. And I want to know, God, is this the person that you want in our church? Because I don't want to hire somebody and then God been like, oh, please don't hire that person. But at the same point in time, I don't want to drag on the process when God is like, green light, come on, move faster. <laughs> I want to keep in step with what God is doing. Moving on. We're going to align church ministry around church mission. How does the church mission affect children's ministry? How does it affect men's ministry? How does it affect the young adult group? How are those ministries going to be accomplishing the overarching church process of seeking the unreached, equipping believers, and sending the called? How is that going to influence worship ministry? How is that influence Sunday morning speaking? How does that... Can we make actual changes in these ministries and not just say, oh yeah, we're doing that, and then we're just going to keep doing the same thing we've done before? Just put a coat of paint over it and say, oh yeah, it's fine. We need God's help with these things. Moving on, we want to provide intentional spiritual care and assistance with spiritual growth. How do we improve what we've been doing? Are there new things that we should be doing? Are there any new ministries that the church needs to pick up? Is there something we need to start? That's the fun question. What new ministries can we be starting? God, what do you want us to do? What's, what's something new and fun we can start? But you have to also ask if there's things that God wants us to start. There are also some things that God might want us to stop. God, are there any ministries that we need to terminate? Nobody likes that question. Wait, you, you're cutting the, the, the youth ministry? You're cutting the women's ministry? You're cutting the, the outreach that we do over here? I mean, like, it's so popular. People love it. It's like, yeah, but it's not bearing any fruit. I've been part of that in a church where they actually squashed the youth ministry because it wasn't growing. Bad leader. I was mad, but I see now the wisdom in it. 
because it wasn't doing what it was supposed to be doing. It was basically just a one a party once a week. We got around, ate chips, drank pop, and hung out. It needed to be restarted. And the big one, uh, we need to grow the church. Now, I'm not saying we just want numbers. I don't want a, I don't want a fellowship.com. We need to tack on a giant building on the side of this. But there are people, bless you, there are people in Flower Mound, in Louisville, in Highland Village, in Coppell, in the surrounding area who need God's love and who need what this church can provide. And I want to find those people and I want to implement them and integrate them into our community. How can we outreach to the community and intentionally let people know that we're here, that we care about them, and we want to help them experience God's love? Because I don't want to grow the church just to grow the church. You want numbers in here, we can get numbers in here. Just to make it feel, oh, look, we got numbers in here. I want people to come to our church so they can experience God's love, so they can experience community and acceptance, so they can say, man, I really feel connected to Tyler, and I feel connected to Danny and Susie and Ashlyn, and these people just make me feel loved, and they make me feel valued, and they make me, in some way, experience God's love. That's what I want. They can be healed by God's love and by God's people, and they can say, wow, I didn't know my life could be like this. I feel like I'm important and my life has significance. That's why I want to grow the church. Because there are people who need that, that God is calling out to, that God is seeking, that we need to bring into here. I want people to be drawn to God through joining us in our journey, which can only be done when the church aligns with the mission that God has given us. We've got big plans. We got big plans for 2019. I'm excited. But unless God directs our steps, we're just wasting time. And on a personal level, I'm just sharing a bit about me so you guys know what to expect. Because what, I, what I'm going through will influence what happens here at the church. Uh, there are two major things I'm doing in 2019. Just to keep you guys aware. Uh, first of all, we're going to try to move to Flower Mound in April or May of this year. We're waiting for a certain little boy to finish his school year. Yay. It's so easy to move when they're not in school. <laughs> okay, we're moving. But now it's like, oh, he's got all these friends. He's got a teacher he likes. We're going to let him finish out the school year. And then we're going to move here. We found a house that we like that way. Five-minute walk. Way overpriced. But apparently that's Flower Mound. So. <laughs> um, but I want to be closer. I want to be closer to the church so I can better fulfill my role as leader. Because I burn, I did the math. I, did the, I, I drive from Watauga. I live in Watauga. If you don't know where Watauga is, that's okay. Just imagine someplace that's really far away, like Fort Worth. I, Watauga touches North Fort Worth. 377 and 820, super far away. We actually border Haltom City, where the grass ain't green and the girls ain't pretty. But <laughs> I did the math. That always gets big laughs. My, I, I tried that out on my dad a few months ago, and he just thought it was great. But I burn 30 hours a month driving from Watauga. 30 hours. That is a work week. Or sleepy time. <laughs> or time with my kids. So there's literally no bad side of me moving closer. I can do my job better. I can spend more time with people. I can go to events in the evening and not sit there and say, 
I'm not driving up 35. I'm not driving up 121. I don't know. And there's a lake between Watauga and Flower Mound. I mean, I can be closer and I can do a better job. But I need, I need you guys praying for me because I need God's direction and wisdom as we pick a house. Because we set up the, what we want in a house. You know, four bedrooms, this many square feet, this many bathrooms, this close to the church. And then you look at the houses that fit that and you go, this is our budget and this is how much they want. And you're going, we might have to sacrifice some things. A house is a big financial investment. Probably the most expensive thing you buy is your house. And you don't want to buy a bad house. You ever bought a bad house? No, I don't want to buy a bad house. One of those houses where you're always calling somebody like, hey, can you help me fix this? Hey, can you help me fix this? Hey, this just fell off. Can you <laughs> help me put it back on the house? It's a huge thing that's coming for me. And I did, it's four months away. Ah, please pray for me. I need to make a good decision. I need to buy a good house. And second, um, I'm going to be starting my doctoral dissertation. I didn't know if you guys know, but I'm in school. Uh, I'm working on a doctorate, and I'm going to be starting my dissertation here in the summer. Part of the dissertation is I have to do an intervention in my church that requires people to attend it and for me to measure your change from before and after. So this doctoral dissertation, I did the math out. It's like 600 hours worth of work, just the paper, in addition to the other classes I'm taking. So that's a lot of work. But it's a large investment of time, a big investment of energy. And this is like the magnum opus of my schoolwork. Like this is what all of my schoolwork has been building up to. Kindergarten, you're building with Legos. Doctoral level, you're writing a 200-page paper. It's kind of moved up. But it's, I want it to be good. I want it to do well. And I need God's wisdom so that I pick a good topic. I presented a topic this, uh, this December, earlier in the month. My professor wrote back, good topic. Not sure if everybody on staff would be on board with it. We might need to discuss. And I'm like, ah, oh, it's already difficult. But you don't want to do a bad topic. You don't want to do something boring because you're going to be working on it for 600 hours. You don't want to be like, oh, this is so boring. But I need God's direction in, and wisdom as I select a topic, as I bring on you guys to part- participate in whatever I do in the church. You guys get to be part of like a doctor paper. And I don't want you, just so you know, I, uh, this is off my notes. I talked with one of my friends that I went to high school with. I'm not going to mention his name. He got a doctorate. He's a, phys- he's a physician. And he commented, and he's like, I can't, he works at a hospital. He's like, I can't stand working at hospitals. We have to take pe- directions from people who only have an MBA. And I was like, okay, you know you're a physician, right? You didn't get a doctorate in business. Business people may know more about business because they have a degree in business, whereas you know how to just fix hands. So if I ever get to that point where I start like looking down my nose because I have a doctorate and I like, yes, please do. Just come up and kick me in the stomach (laughs) and be like, don't do that. I'm not getting the doctorate because I want to be, get a, you know, my head to get even bigger. (laughs) I'm getting it so that I can be a better pastor. That's the hope. That's the dream. So, please help keep me humble. Remind me every so often, be like, you're not that great. And I'll be like, you're right. I'm not. <laughs> but as I wrap up today, I hope you guys are laughing at my expense. This has been a, as I talk more with my wife and with my family, the best person to make fun of in sermons is me. 
because other people don't like it when you make fun of them during the sermon. But as I wrap up today, I want to ask you guys two questions. I want us to think about the past, and I want us to think about the future. Next slide, please, Kate. I want you to look at your life, and I want you to ask yourself, is my life what I want it to be? Really think about this. Really think about your life. Is your life what you want it to be? If yes, what have you done to make it that way? What good choices have you made that have let you live a good life? A life that you're pleased with, that God's pleased with? That's important. But if not, if you look at your life and think, I can't stand this, I don't like the fact that this is this way, what can you change? What were the poor decisions you made that you shouldn't repeat so that you can have a better life? What wisdom have you gained from the years you've spent on this earth? Because some people have been alive for 50 years and they have 50 years of experience. One year, 50 times. They keep making the same mistakes year after year after year. And they're like, why is my life this way? It's like, because you keep making the same dumb mistakes. And I don't want that for any of us. I want us to grow and develop and become wise and intelligent Christians who follow God and do a good job in life. But do you feel like you're spinning your wheels? Some people I've talked to, they say, man, I feel like I'm spinning my wheels. Then you got to make some changes. Or are you striding forward? Are you like, yes, I'm making progress. I think I'm, I can see it. It's good. If you don't know, if you're just like, man, I don't know how to answer that question. Is my life what I want it to be? Ask God. And he can help you get some wisdom. That's James chapter 1 or Jacob chapter 1. Some wisdom I've gained this year is you don't make fun of Disney movies because some people take really big offense to it. <laughs> Moana. I made fun of Moana last week and there was... <gasps> Let <it go>. Yeah. <laughs> I want to know how long Danny was waiting to say that. Too long. Along with that, what's in store for your future? What's coming down the pipe in your future? For 2019, for 2020, for the next 10 years. When you think about your life, you're going to be sitting in that same chair next year, 365 days from now. Will it be the same? Will it be better? Will it be worse? Nobody's like, man, I hope my life is worse next year. <laughs> I hope everybody I know gets sick. I hope I lose my job. I hope my arms fall off. You know, nobody wants your life to get worse. What wise decisions are you going to make that will make your life better? What do you want? Do you want to get married? Get a job? Have kids? Be promoted to the CEO of your company? Retire? What are you, what's coming for the next year, year, two years? We have plans, and that's great. But if you ask God about it, next slide, please, Kate. What does God say about your plans for the future? Have you ever asked God about what he wants for your life? Because that is a terrifying question, because it might not be what you have in mind. When I was a kid, I wanted to work at NASA. 
I say kid. When I was a teenager, I wanted to work at NASA. And God was like, that's nice. I need you over here to do this. And I went, okay. But God can change your plans. He can and he will if you ask him. God wants us to learn from our pasts and he wants to help direct our futures. For every person here, there is no exception. So I'm going to just say, let's close in prayer and let's talk to God and ask him these questions. Leave this slide up, please. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we wrap up this message, as we wrap up this year, help us to analyze to examine and to gain wisdom from what our pasts have taught us. Where we've made mistakes this year, Lord, help us to grow from them. Help us to not repeat our mistakes, God. Help us to gain wisdom from them. Where we've made good decisions, Lord, thank you for the wisdom and the help that you've given us. And as we look towards the future, God, as we look out to what is coming our way, to what we think we want to make our lives, God, I ask that you would reach down into each of our hearts right now and begin to show us your plans for us, for our spouses, for our families, for our church. God, would you bless us with wisdom? Would you help us to see your ways of doing things? God, I thank you for all these people here. I ask that you would draw us near to yourself. Bless them with peace and with protection in the new year. Help us to prosper in your work. And I thank you for all that you do. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.